You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. This question is its really the title of my message tonight. And um, I, I'll just say it like this. How is God speaking to us? And I don't want anyone to answer because you might answer it correct, but not correct for tonight and what I'm going to say tonight. But a question needs to, to be asked, how is God speaking to us? And so you can bring that down on a personal level. And this, this applies on a personal level. It applies on a, a church level. It applies on a national level, all of that. But, but the question is, is important to know not only how is God speaking, but what is God speaking? And I'm going to show you this straight from the Word, and you're going to, you're going to see this, and then we're going to go get into some things, and I'm going to, I'm going to give some great, some great stuff. It's going to be really good. But the other night, we were, uh, we were driving home from our Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving, by the way? Good. You're here. Amen. Uh, so uh, we made it, made it through the, the family, but it was good. Um, but uh, we, were, we were driving home. Oh, by the way, before I forget, don't let me forget that I was, we were driving home and I have a story to tell. But last week, we had um, Ryan and the, the team that were here. They're just, they're just awesome. They were just awesome. And for anybody that didn't hear, uh, it was Saturday night. So we had a Saturday night uh, meeting in Perryville and then Sunday morning in Perryville and then Sunday night here. And Saturday night, the Lord spoke to me that we were going to be taking up a big offering for him. And, uh, and I've never had the Lord really speak that something like that before. And as far as the guest speaker coming in, and the Sunday morning, I said, you know what? The Lord's telling me that we're supposed to give $10,000 between our two campuses. And so when we counted, we were in the office right over there, and we counted the, the offerings and totals for the whole day. It came up to 9900 and nine thousand six hundred. We were three hundred twenty-four dollars short. Let's put it that way. All right. And so, um, so we were thinking maybe we should just round up. And I'm thinking, nope, nope. Somebody else is going to do it. We're going to see God see this thing all the way through. But, but by the way, that kind of offering for our churches. Come on now, that's awesome. It was God. And so we, I said, no, actually, wait, somebody else is going to give this money. It's there. Somebody else, can, they're going to call and say, I couldn't be there. I'm going to give or whatever. And so then I go and I take the two checks and I go to hand them to Ryan, one from each campus. And I said, me, we're almost there. I said, but God's going to make this up. And he goes, oh, wait a minute. And he pulls out of his pocket and somebody had given him $400 earlier that day. So the total came up to, I think it was um, $10,076, as I think was the total. And so, man, to God be the glory. And that ministry, amen, it's doing things to reach our younger generation. And so this actually really fits in, and I I won't forget my story. This fits into where I'm going tonight because um, the younger generation does not know, and I would say that it's because the church as a whole doesn't know how God has spoken to us in this dispensation in this time. Um, there was a new dispensation called the church age that started on the day of Pentecost. And the Lord began to speak differently from that time period up until now because we are still in the church age. And so we need to know how God speaks. I mean, if God's speaking, we need to know how he's speaking and what he's speaking. And when we were on our drive home, we were 
um, there was a, a movie playing in the back, and I'm a, I'm a sucker for sports movies. And by the way, I had my sunglasses on, and we were watching the, because uh, I was driving, and I could just hear the movie, and we were watching the, um, the, the Rookie, right? Yeah, the Rookie, the Dennis Quaid movie where he's, has anybody seen that movie? Oh, man. And so when he, when he gets um, the call, um, you know, that, that he's getting called up to the major leagues. If you've never seen the movie, it's a great movie. I, I, sometimes I mention movies and I go, don't watch it. Go watch this one. It's a really good movie. Um, and so anyways, he, gets, when he, go, he calls home to his family because they had called him up to the majors. And it's based on a true story. And, and whenever his wife is on the phone with him, like, I didn't tell you this, but I was over there going like that. And I've seen the movie like 10 times and every time. Because she was so supportive of him and just loved him through it. And then when the, when the son gets on the phone, because the son was like six or seven years old and he was waiting for his dad to become a major league baseball player and for him to tell his son that he had made it to the majors. If you want a tearjerker, go watch it. But it's a good feeling tearjerker. It's amazing. So anyways, but there was a, there was a time when the, the scouts called his house and they left, because this movie was probably 20 years ago, they left messages on his answering machine at home. And Liz is like, an answering machine? Who has an answering machine anymore? It's kind of like a fax machine. I was in the DMV, and they were like, they, they had a sign-up this a couple weeks ago, or last week, and they had a sign-up that says, all, all faxes will be like a $2 surcharge or something like that. And I'm thinking, who sends faxes anymore? We have email. I don't know. Some people probably do. But, you know, there's these different times, especially with technology, to where we would communicate different things in different ways. But as we've advanced, and I mean, you could take this, you know, a, a long ways back and even, you know, you know, like the whole, um, I don't know, what was the guy that, uh, Alexander Graham Bell and how they did telephones and they had the switchboard and all that and people could listen in on your conversations. So you couldn't have any gossip sessions going on because somebody could be listening. Not that anybody should be gossiping anyways, amen. But, uh, you know, so we had all these different ways that people communicated in different times, and now that we're in the time that we're in now, we communicate differently than we did even 15, 20, 40, 50 years ago. Makes sense? The Lord is the exact same way. There was a time. He's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he spoke differently in different times to people. And he spoke through uh, Moses. He spoke through the law. He spoke through the Old Testament sacrifices. He spoke through angels. He spoke through prophets. But he speaks a little bit differently today. And not that he doesn't speak through prophets and different things like that, but there's a main way that God speaks to us. Hebrews chapter 1. And so everybody asks the question, God, how are you speaking to us? Okay, now when I say everybody, I mean everybody. So everybody say, God, how are you speaking to us? Oh, very good. I like that. Very robust. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 1, and in verse 1, this is so plain and simple, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. This is really, really, like, this might sound like, well, of course Jesus came and he died on the cross, and yes, we know we're, we're in that time period, but the deal is, is that we're still in this dispensation. There's coming a time when the church age will end, and depending on, on who you're talking to, it's the rapture before the tribulation, or it's at the end of the tribulation, 
Let me just say it this way for, so we don't have to argue about that. There's coming a time when the church age is going to end. I know which one I believe, but there's coming a time when the church age is going to end and God will start to speak differently then than he does right now. But how is God speaking right now? It's through his son. So if he's speaking through his son, we need to know what his son is saying. And you say, well, that's because I, ha I have a relationship with Jesus, or the way I know that I, what he's saying is I have a relationship with Jesus, and God speaks to my heart through the Holy Spirit. And that is true. That is absolutely, positively, 100% true, because you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. You are his sheep, and his sheep do hear his voice. And I believe that wholeheartedly. But in the midst of all of our, all of our trying to understand what the Lord is saying, I think that we have missed something major, and that is through his son and, and the things that his son did, the things that Jesus did while he was here on the earth, if we're not careful, and, and this is where I say that our, the, especially the younger generations, if we're not careful, they will totally miss what it is that God has said through his son. This is so simple, but we're going to get some really good things in here tonight about this. Now, I want to go ahead and finish reading this, and it says... Um, so in verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, uh, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. <laughs> you know how much uh, help God needed to purge your sins? He didn't need our help purging our sins. By himself he did it, praise God. They've been purged, amen. Uh, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better. Now, I wanna, I'm not going to go into this whole thing, but I want you to see this first part. It says, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And so what the book of Hebrews, the theme of the book of Hebrews is this. It's Jesus is better. Jesus, and he goes into talking about how Jesus is better than the angels. And it's not that God doesn't speak through angels. He does speak through angels. Angels do things. Angels deliver messages. Angels help us with assignments. I believe in angels, so don't, don't misunderstand me. But Jesus is better than angels. Jesus, and if you go on through the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. Je well, Jesus is better than any prophet, amen? The Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the, the high priest under the law. Jesus is better than the law itself. And Jesus is better than the sacrifices. He was better than all that. And the reason he was having to write this to the Hebrews, because the Hebrews were the, were the children of Israel, but these were ones who had believed on Jesus. They were believers. They were born-again believers. And they were toying with the idea of going back underneath of lesser ways of communication. They were toying with the idea of going, reverting back to the things that were comfortable to them. And instead of taking on the new way that God was speaking, they were wanting to go back under the law. They were wanting to make sacrifices again. They were wanting to keep all of the, the things that they felt like they needed to keep to make them holy, to make them right with God, to get them to get their blessing and all of the stuff. When the truth is, is that Jesus came in and redeemed humanity from all of that, including the Jews. And he was saying, look, I'm speak I've spoken in times past through those things, and that was for that time, but now I've spoken through my son, so you need to know what it is that my son is saying. And I'm going to share with you tonight five different ways, 
And you might say, well, I think that there's seven ways or ten ways. Well, I like five because five represents grace. And I'm really big on the grace of God because that's why I'm standing here. It's because of the grace of God. So I'm going to give you five things. And if you want to come up with ten more or whatever, that's fine. But I'm going to give you five really important things or ways that God has spoken through his son. And if you're taking notes, it's a good idea to take notes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through these because really this is five weeks of teaching that I'm going to give you all in one night here. And so and I'm just going to list these and I'm going to go back and share on them for a little bit. So here's uh, number one is this is how God has spoken through his son, Jesus, or the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is through his birth, his death, his blood, or you could say the cross, but I'm going to specifically talk about the blood, his resurrection, and his ascension. So he has spoken through his birth, his death, his blood, his resurrection, and his ascension. And so we're going to talk about why, why these things are so important and really pull some things out of this that are going to, going to really, really help us tonight. But again, this is so in, important. It's incredibly in, important that we know how God is speaking and what he is speaking. Because in the midst, and I've, I've found this, I mean, I've, it's interesting, when I was in, like, high school, I went to, um, you know, uh, like a Baptist kind of a youth group or whatever, but the house that I grew up in was more charismatic, Pentecostal, you know, my, my parents got, you know, radically saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and so we're involved in some of that, and then the youth group I went to was not so much of some of that, so I, I have a, a little bit of a mixture that I was growing up in. But it wasn't until I got into my early 20s that I started to see what God was saying in the earth. And, and I'm just, I've just come to this thing, th th at this place in my life, that if God is saying something, I want to know what God is saying. I don't care what a church says. I don't care what a man says. I don't care what I'm feeling. What is God saying? And there, is, there are some things very profound that the Lord has spoken through these things concerning what Jesus did, again, his birth, his death, his blood, his resurrection, and his ascension. There are particular things that happened that took place that the Lord was communicating, this is what I want humanity to know. In particular, I want my church to know about what I think. Now, if you go back and you look in the verse we just read in Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 3, it says, who being the express, and this is speaking of Jesus, who being the, uh, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, this is speaking of Jesus, and that word express there means an exact copy. It means an exact picture. So when we've seen Jesus, we have truly seen the Father. And so it's interesting to me sometimes that people will want to go back, and I love the Old, the Old Testament. All of it is the Word of God. But you have to understand something. There is, a, there is an Old Covenant, and there is a New Covenant. And the New Covenant is a is a more accurate representation of who God is. And the reason is, is because when Jesus came to establish the new covenant, he represented the Father perfectly. He didn't do anything or say anything except that he saw the Father do and say those things. So in here, in this verse, it's saying that Jesus is the express image. He's the exact image of the Father. It's almost kind of like when Kingston stands up here. He almost looks like a carbon copy, and he loves to hear that because he doesn't ever hear that. No, it's like everywhere we go, they're like, oh, you guys aren't father and son, and Kingston's like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And so, but even more accurate than that, Jesus, when you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. 
The most accurate representation of who God is is Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. So it's interesting sometimes that people will, and this is where I think that it's, this is so important because people oftentimes in a desire to do right and to believe right and to be right, they go back and they'll go into the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and they'll try to get a clear picture of who God is. Let me tell you something. You can't get a clear picture of who God is through the Old, through the old Covenant. Try this side over here. I know Donna will agree with me. You cannot get a clear picture of who God is through the Old Testament. It is a, it is a, it is a blurred vision of who God is. And this is what I found, is that sometimes people... They will stay under legalism. They'll believe in Jesus, but they'll stay under legalism because they'll go back under the law and try and understand who God is. The Bible says, and Liz quoted this earlier, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I think it was this morning. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The, there's a power in the gospel to open eyes and cause people to see who God really truly is that the law could never bring people into. So this is what I tell people. And as a matter of fact, I had this conversation with somebody over Thanksgiving, and they were saying something to the effect of like, well, I've been reading in the New Testament, now I'm going to go back and read in the, in the Old Testament, but maybe I should have done it the other way around. And I said, no, 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 no. You did it correctly because you need to go and see who God is through Jesus so that way when you go back under and look at the Old Testament, and you look at the law, instead of feeling like you have to come into the Lord through the law, you've already come to him through Jesus. Jesus is the doorway. You've already come to God through Jesus, and now you go back and you look at the law, you look at the Old Testament, you go, there's Jesus there. There's Jesus there. Oh, I never saw it before, but look, there's Jesus there. Oh, oh my gosh, look, you can see Jesus, 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 Jesus. But if you don't get Jesus just on a faith thing, you'll go back and you'll try and work to have a relationship with God. And the Lord doesn't want that for us. So we need to know what has God spoken in these times. How has he spoken and what has he spoken? The how is through his son and the what are these things. Number one, the birth of Christ. And we've got some slides. I want to pull this. Oh, you guys are right on it. Very good. The birth of Christ equals this. This is what God was speaking is it's God with us. And we know this in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You can imagine the disappointment of God the Father when they named him Jesus. Nice. Five, four, three, two, one. They called him, the gods had called him Emmanuel, and they called him Jesus. Okay. Anyways, so, <laughs> it's fine. He was supposed to be called Jesus. But when he came, he was, he was known. It was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And I think it's in Luke's account where it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. You know what that's talking about? It's saying that it's saying, see, we've, we've got this song, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and good to men, or whatever. I don't know. I don't even know the right one. Let's do the uh, Vince Gill one. I can't sing that high. Never mind. But anyways, we've got these songs. We'll just say that. These songs that are talking about God came to bring peace on the earth. He, he came to bring, to bring uh, to, for men to have, you know, peace amongst each other. And, and the, if God did that, 
through Jesus, he failed. Because there is not peace. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. And he was really just talking about towards the, the pharmaceutical mindset and things like that. And, uh, and truly, he's the way, he's very narrow-minded narrow in that sense. And so it, it's caused a lot of problems with religious folk. But when it says glory to God in the highest and on earth, it was saying that God was not only in heaven, but now he is also on earth, Emmanuel, God with us. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. What, um, amongst men? No, from God to man. Jesus came to restore the peace that was lost between God and man. Hallelujah. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, devil. So praise God, the birth of Christ equals or represents God with us. That is, that is an incredible reality because, you know, they had God before when they carried him around in the temple. And, you know, whenever they would move the tabernacle around, they didn't move the temple, but when he was in the tabernacle, they'd move it around, they would set it up. And so they had the presence of God there, but he wasn't really with people. And that's why there was a veil that separated and only the high priest could go in one time into the most holy place to have that connection with God. And it wasn't a connection like me, oh, we're just fellowshipping together today, Lord. Lord, let me tell you my problems. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was coming in with all of the I's dotted, all of the T's crossed. And if anything was out of place, boom, that, that priest could potentially be struck down dead and have to be dragged out by a rope because he didn't do everything just perfectly right. That's not the kind of like God with us that I want Jesus came to bring peace on earth, that now we have a relationship with the Father through Jesus, and the issue of sin and things like that has been dealt with through the Son. Amen? So God, God with us, the birth of Christ bring, brings God with us, and that's the first way that God really is speaking and spoke through his Son. The second thing, and these are all still true to this day, the second thing is the death of Christ, and the death of Christ represents or equals God for us. Somebody help me out in here tonight. There's a difference between God being with you and God being for you. Have you ever been with somebody before? You've been around them before and you thought, I don't think they really like me very much. Maybe you experienced that over the holidays. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Strike that. Erase it. Uh, anyways, so yeah, you've probably been around somebody before that you thought, you know, I just don't think they really like me very much. They're really not for me. They're really not on my side. And, you know, there's people, there was, and there was a time when, because people were not justified, there was a time that they were at enmity with God. They were opposed to God. Man was opposed to God, and God was opposed to man. But when he came through his son, he was not only became God with us, but he became God for us, on our side. This is a radical, it's actually really, it's really not that radical, but it's radical for a lot of people. I meet people, I minister to people all the time that still think that God is not on their side. They still believe that. The, the vast majority of Christians who have put their trust in Jesus, they believe that God has redeemed them, that he has saved them, but it was kind of like out of obligation. It was like, it was like God's religious duty to save us because after all, man was in really tough shape and God just, he just had to do it. But the truth is, is that God did it because he wanted to. He is for us. He's on our side. And there's many verses that depict this. A couple of them here. John 15, 13. We know this. It says, greater love has, has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And Jesus said, you are my friends. 
And so there is no greater love than to lay down your life. There's no way to say and on any greater measure or level that you are for somebody than to lay down your life for them. You cannot, there's no, there's no amount of gift, there's no amount of serving, there's no amount of anything that you could do. There's no performance, there's no hoops you could jump through. There's nothing that you could ever do to really show somebody that you are for them more than saying, here is my life, I'm laying it down for your sake. This is the second thing, the second thing that God has spoken through his son is that he is for us. Romans 8 and 32, it's, uh, it says that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with, with him also freely give us all things? You want to know the number, the number one verse that makes me believe? And, and people will be like, you're one of them health and wealth and name it, claim it, preacher. And they don't even know what they're talking about. They just, they just copy in what, what they hear other people say. The number one verse that makes me believe that God wants me to be blessed financially, to be blessed in my body, to be blessed in my family, to be blessed in my checkbook, to be blessed in my church, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, live long and prosper. The reason that I believe that the Lord, yes, that was Spock. Uh, the reason that I believe, is it Star Trek? Anybody? Yeah, Trekkies, yeah. Um, I'm just, Third John 1, 2, I wish above all things, above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers, right? But the number one reason I believe that God wants us to have those things is not because of what anybody else has said, but it's because of what God said right here. If he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's kind of like if I knew that, you know, Ron, you know, somehow or another was able to lay down his, his life for me, and I don't know how it would work in the natural, but let's just say that he laid down his life for me, he, he died for me, and rose again. He's not Jesus, but, you know, next best thing, right? And uh, somehow or another, he was, able, he was able to do that, and <laughs> did I miss something? Okay. Um, sorry, you're the next best thing to Jesus. Excuse me. You're, you're third place. All right. Stop it, Kent. You're going to get in trouble. Um, but, but let's just say, probably should have used Liz as an example, but anyways, we're, we're already on this. So we're going to go for it. And let's just say that he was able to do that. And then, I, and then I went up to somebody and I said, oh, oh, let me tell you about my friend Ron. He is so incredible. And this situation came up and he laid down his, his life. He, he died for my sake. Now he's back to life, but he died for my sake. And imagine what you think. You think, man, this guy is incredible. He is just He's awesome. I'd like to meet this guy sometime. And then and the next thing, I turn around and say, did you know one time I needed $50 to put in my gas tank? And he said, forget you. I'm not giving it to you. Imagine if I communicated that to you. You would think, first of all, what is wrong with you? Second of all, what is wrong with this guy, Ron? He would give up his life, but he won't even give you $50 when you're in need? to help put some gas in your gas tank. And by the way, he would do that, but we're speaking hypothetically here. Do you understand the disconnect that people have when we come to relaying God? We say things like, oh, Jesus died for us. But he might want you to be sick or broke or poor or whatever, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't even make any sense. If he's already gone to the highest level, how can we believe that he wouldn't want us to have all these other things? The only, other way, the only way we could believe that is if we religify it. And you say, well, how do you religify something? God in his sovereignty has chosen to make you poor. He's chosen for you to have 
this disease to live with for 12 years so that he can get, oh, Jesus, did anyone see? No, I shouldn't even go there. Did anyone I'm going to? Anytime I say that I'm not going to go there, I'm going to go there. Did anyone see the chosen, the last one? Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. If little James, it says that he went about doing good. Anybody not see it? The last season three, episode two, and I got to explain myself. Okay, season three, episode two came out. We went to the movie theaters. We went with you guys. And anyways, um, little James. There's big James and there's little James. If you've been watching The Chosen, incredible stuff. Big James and little James. Little James, who's got, obviously has a handicap that is walking. <laughs> uh, help me, Jesus. Anyways, it's just, I mean, I, I, was, I was going, in the movie theater. I'm like, I'm writhing on the inside because little James, and we've been waiting for this moment because earlier in the season, or earlier in the season two, I think it was, uh, little James is having a conversation with, I think John, somebody else, and he said, I don't know, Jesus is healing all of these other people. Why hasn't he healed me? And then little James says, maybe it's because I haven't asked. And my heart was settled at that point. I thought, okay, okay, I can go with that, little James. I'm fine with that. Well, we fast forward to, to season three, episode two. And they're getting ready to be sent out two by two. <laughs> yeah. And little James comes up to Jesus and says, excuse me, the guy portraying Jesus. It was not Jesus. And said, is this getting anyone's kitchen in here? I'm sorry if it is, but I'm not. I just, we got to straighten these things out. Folks, we got to be right about this kind of stuff because we have to represent God accurately. He has spoken through his son. Are we speaking what God has spoken about his son and through his son? Or we got some other kind of gospel going on? We need, to, we need to ask ourselves this. And so he goes up to Jesus, the guy portraying Jesus, and he says, Jesus, all of these other things are happening, all these other miracles are happening, but why haven't you healed me? And then the guy portraying Jesus, that's what I'm going to call him, and I thank God, I believe the chosen has helped a lot of people, but when I was listening to this, I thought, there are, all, there are hundreds and thousands of people that are dealing with diseases that will hear that message through that and stay in their sickness and not believe God for anymore because Jesus' response was, I could heal you, and it would be within the will of the Father, but it would really be better for you to live in this sickness so that God would get the glory by the strength being shown through you as you're living in sickness. That is, that is heresy. You know why it's heresy? First of all, because the love of God tells us different right here that if he who did not spare his own son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? You know what all means in the Greek? It means all, all things. Come on now. And so we got to get this thing right. And so anyways, all right, I'm going to move. I'm going to move on before I get too far off track, but that really fits in. And this is what I was going to say, and I interrupted myself. It says in the word, it's heresy, because it says that he went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed by the devil. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about healing all that were sick and oppressed by the devil. And he gave his disciples power and authority over all sickness and over all disease and to uh, cast out demonic spirits. I think is how it says it. But anyways, he gave him authority over all of it. And so we just got to make sure that our doctrine isn't coming from any other source than what does God say? What did Jesus say? What did God say through Jesus? And his death spoke that he is for us. So when you are dealing with something, because I don't deny that sickness is real. I don't deny that people go through stuff. I don't deny that probably most of us in here are walking something out in our own life, probably in our own body, in our finances. I don't deny that stuff. 
But I do deny that God wants us to live at a lower level than what his son has come to provide for us. It says that by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. You know what that means? It means that he already paid for the healing by the stripes borne on his back. What right does, does any one of us, what right does any one of us have to say that, well, actually, God doesn't want you to have it? To me, that is just as blasphemous as saying that God doesn't want somebody to be saved. And actually, I know a few Christians who say that God wants some people to be damned to hell, which is nonsense and blasphemy. God, he doesn't want anybody to perish. I don't even use that word blasphemy very much, but I'm using it right now. We've got to be really, really careful that we represent God right for who he is. Hallelujah. Everybody say, thank you, Pastor Kent, for telling me the truth. <laughs> okay, good. You're on my side. All right. All right. So number three. Number one was the birth of Christ, the death of Christ. Number three is the blood of Christ. And this speaks of God's eternal, eternal redemption. Not just God's redemption, but God's eternal redemption. It's not just that he redeemed us, but he gave us eternal redemption. Here in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, it says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And there's many verses that depict this, that depict this principle, but I'm just, for time's sake, just showing you that one. But this is another way that God has spoken through his son is that he has spoken through his blood, and his blood didn't have to be shed more than one time. He shed his blood one time. I think I shared this with you, but I, I literally had somebody on the phone telling me one time, just not too long ago, they were, they were calling about something, and then they were freaking out about something, and then they ended up saying, they literally said this to me, and I couldn't, my brain was going, what in the world am I, and I, I was trying to amen her, and I stopped amening, because I thought, I'm not going to amen that. She said, Jesus, please get back up on the cross and die for us, and I thought, I, didn't, well, I know, I know, I shook my, I was going, what? I was like, I felt like I'd been thrown in a lake of freezing cold water or something. It was like, wow, What? And he's never going to go back on the cross again. You know why? Because he doesn't need to. Because his blood is the eternal blood of God that only had to be offered up one time. And that one time was enough to provide eternal redemption. You say, why is this so important? Well, first of all, it's in the word of God. But secondly, there are people that believe that when you get saved, that you can just lose your salvation. I mean, if it was, if it was that simple, like, this is... This takes more time than what I have to give at the moment. So then people are like, well, you're saying there's no way that you, you can lose your salvation? Well, yeah, basically. I'm saying there's no way you can lose your salvation because it's based on the eternal blood of God and you putting faith in it. And then people are like, well, pastor, that's going to cause people to live in sin. I've not, I've not met one person that I've told that to that, that said, this is awesome. I'm going to go live like an idiot. I've not met one person in all of my years that has said that. Now, I've met a few that I think that actually did that, but, you know, that's on, that's on their head. Uh, but what this does is it liberates us to where we don't have to feel like we have to go and do any kind of penance before the Lord, whatever that kind of penance would look like. This liberates us to where we realize what God did was eternal, and he did the eternal work, I didn't do the eternal work. It wasn't based on what I could do. It was based on his eternal blood because God's eternal and everything about him is eternal. And when he does something, he does it right. It sticks, it's good, and it lasts throughout all eternity. And so then people get into the, say, into the uh, conversations of, you know, well, can you, can you lose it and can you send it away? I'm not gonna get into all that stuff right now, but basically you'd have to work really, 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 really hard. If it was even possible, it depends on how you interpret particular passages of Scripture, primarily Hebrews chapter 6, verses 
one through six, somewhere around there, depending on how you interpret it, you'd have to work really, really hard to go from being saved to not saved. You can't just sin your salvation away. You can't just mess up and blow it, and all of a sudden you're not right with God. If that was the case, then we, the only hope was that if we get saved and then we just die. Somebody, the person that was responsible for leading us to the Lord just kills us. You're saved? Okay, I want you to make it, so boom, you're, you're dead, whatever. I mean, nobody's going to do that, but I'm just saying, as soon as you get saved, probably within a day, I mean, if you do awesome, you might make it like two days or something, and you're going to sin. You're going to think something wrong. You're going to do something wrong. You're going to not walk in love. You're going to not read your Bible like you should. You're going to not do something. And you say, no, 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 it's the big sins. What are you talking about, the big sins? Because as far as I can see that it says that once you're guilty of, of breaking one part of the law, you're built, guilty of breaking the entire law. It's just like if you have, and I love this analogy, Brother Andrew uses this, if you have a window, it doesn't matter if you throw a little BB or a rock through it or if you drive a car through it. You've broken the window however you've broken it, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, whether it's a big sin or a little sin, if, if you've broken the law, you've broken the law. And the only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus, period. And so your big sin or your little sin is not going to be the thing that separates you from the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. And again, it says, for him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is a sin. If, if you know that you should, if the Lord says, I want you to get up and read your Bible for 20 minutes every morning, and you just decide that you're not going to do that, you are just as guilty as a murderer. I'm not saying the consequences are the same. Amen. And don't, don't catch me wrong, but I'm saying as far as before the Lord, you're just as guilty. There's no big sin or little sin. There's either you're right with God or you're not right with God. And we are justified through the blood of Jesus, and it's an eternal redemption that we have with him. Also, this also speaks of something better. Hebrews 12 and 24, it says, To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. I read this for years, and I thought, what in the world is this talking about? This is so simple. Jesus' blood speaks better than that of Abel. You know what Abel's blood cried out? It cried out vengeance. So Cain killed his brother Abel, and his blood cried out from the ground, vengeance. Our sins killed Jesus, essentially killed Jesus, put him on the cross, but his blood cries out mercy. It's, that's why it's better than, than Abel. It's, and, and that's why it's better than any natural thing because whenever something is done, and even Moses under the law, it was eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, remember? But Jesus came in and he said, I'm reversing everything. I'm going to flip your lid. I'm going to tilt your brain. And instead of when I die, vengeance being, being the thing that should be said about my blood being spilt, it's spilt for the sake of, of mercy for people. Hallelujah. The blood of Christ has spoken, and it's spoken powerfully. If you could just take somebody, you could take, you could, and this is why we need to pray for, we need to pray for pastors. We need to pray for churches. There's a lot of pastors that are good ministers that love God and that need to have a revelation of the new covenant. They have a revelation that Jesus came they believe the, the, the Bible. They believe the stories of Jesus. They believe the testimony of Jesus. They believe the, the extracurricular accounts of Jesus, but they don't have a revelation of the gospel. And so they're, they're trying to get their people out of sin, out of a sinful lifestyle, 
first of all, to be right with God, but also by law preaching. And it doesn't work. The children of Israel had the law for thousands of years, and they still lived in the cycle of sin. You know what sets people free? Grace sets people free. It's power. It sets people free to not only just have a relationship with the Lord based on what he has done, but also to receive what the Lord has to empower them to rise above and overcome the thing that's been overcoming them. There's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. And if pastors, it, oh, and I believe that there's an increase. This is part of the great awakening. I believe that's happening. And I, I believe that Paul, for a, he told the, the Galatians, he said, he said, somebody's come and preached a different gospel to you. And he said, let that person be accursed. And then he said it again. He said, let that person be accursed. He didn't mince words. I'm going to tell you what I believe is happening. I believe that we're coming into a time when the church is going to be, there's going to be a line drawn in the sand with those that are preaching the true gospel versus those that are preaching a gospel that is different. And there is, there is only one gospel. A gospel that is different is Jesus plus something, which equals nothing. The only true gospel is Jesus plus nothing, which equals everything. And the Jesus plus nothing is just saying that it's what Jesus has done. It's him. It's him alone. It's his work. And you don't add any works to it. That is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what his blood has spoken. That's what needs to be preached from the pulpits. And if every preacher, and I just believe the Spirit of God could just move on our land in such a way that every minister suddenly, and I don't think it will really happen like this, but I'm at least going to think of, think of it happening this way, that every minister just gets a hold of the, of the gospel and they're like, oh my gosh, I've been preaching law. I've been preaching legalism to people. I've been telling them that they're not right with God and that their sin is separated. I met a man not long ago. Actually, I didn't meet him. Jesus helped me. I was in a situation and this man was ministering in the same circle that I was ministering in and the person that was in charge of both of us ministering to there in that, in that circle, trying to be careful how I say it, it's nobody that you would know, I promise you that. But they, um, this other person said that your sin is separating you from God. And this person leaned over to me and they said, do you believe that? Because something in them said, I don't think that that's right. And I said, no, I don't believe that. That's not accurate at all. Your sin doesn't separate you from God. It's you're not putting faith in Jesus because of your sin that's separating you from God. Jesus has already dealt with the sin issue. And, and the, only, the only way that sin is still separating from pe people from God is if they haven't accepted Jesus as Lord or they don't know what they have. And they're still looking through a sin consciousness, thinking God is looking upon me based on what I've done and not based on what Jesus has done. That's the only way sin can separate you from God. Jesus has dealt with the sin issue. Woo! Hallelujah. He's spoken. His blood is spoken. Number four is the resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to steam through this one unjustly. But the resurrection of Christ, this is the fourth way that I'm mentioning tonight about how God has spoken through Jesus. And this is about God being victorious. So it's God with us, God for us, God's eternal redemption, and God victorious. And in Romans 10 and 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the truth is, is that Jesus did rise from the dead. And I, I believe that, you know, because I think it's in 1 John, I believe it's 1 John, where it talks about that false prophets will rise up. 
And one of the signs of a false prophet is that they will deny that Jesus came in the flesh. And I think one of the things that probably would accompany that, and, and well, it would accompany that, is that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything that he was here on the earth and all of the prophecies about him are null and void. And here's how we have to look at the resurrection. If the resurrection is false and it didn't happen, we owe the rest of our lives to humanity to tell them about the, the, the falseness of the resurrection. Equally is true if the resurrection is true, and it is. If the resurrection is true and it did happen, we owe humanity the rest of our lives telling them about what Jesus did for us. And the resurrection was the, it was the pinnacle of all of everything marshaled against Jesus here on the earth. It was the pinnacle of Jesus having the ultimate victory. And it says that we are risen with him in newness of life. Come on now. You want to know why you you want to know why I believe that I'm a victorious person? It's not because of me. I I look in a mirror just like everybody else does every every day. And I know that me and of myself that I'm not victorious, but I know who I am in Christ, and I know that the same way that I was buried with him in baptism, I have been risen again in newness of life. Risen. Res, I've been resurrected spiritually from the dead. And I I have a new life in him. And that life is a victorious one because Jesus, think about this, all of the, the prophecies and different things that were spoken about Jesus. And, you know, if Satan is, is, is spiritually, he's spiritually stupid because if he really understood what was going to happen by, by working to put Jesus to death, he would have done everything to try and keep Jesus alive. But he, he doesn't understand those things. So people give the, the, the devil way too much credit. He doesn't know as much as you think he knows. He knows it, but he doesn't have spiritual, the ability to spiritually discern things properly like we do. We're more spiritually discerned than the devil. You know that? And so, but whenever Jesus was put in the ground and put in the tomb and he died and was put in the tomb, you can bet that every demon in hell, every demon on the earth, Satan himself, was marshaled against Jesus being raised from the dead because once Jesus was raised from the dead, it was all over for him. It was all over. And you know what? Jesus rose from the dead. It was all over for the enemy. And it still is to this day. Hallelujah. The resurrection brought us um, God's victory and showed us that God is victorious. And that's how God has spoke to the resurrection. The last thing I'm going to mention here is the ascension of Christ. This is something we don't put a whole lot of uh, thought or time into, and I'm not going to do it justly tonight, but the ascension of Christ is indeed the picture of our glorious future, and, and here's what I mean by that, is that when Jesus ascended into heaven, it is the reality of where his body uh, beforehand was transformed, and then he was brought into heaven. And in the like manner that he went, we also are going to ascend into heaven and receive a new glorified body. I'm finally going to have the six-pack that, that I always wanted, amen. You know, here's something that's interesting. Amen, a six-pack is good stuff, amen. That's not what you're talking about. But anyways, I just, I think I'm funny, but I'm really not. Uh, you know what's interesting about Jesus that so we're we're gonna have we're not gonna have the scars and things the deals the issues or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Lee thinks I'm funny. Um, we're not gonna have the problems that we had here on this earth when we have a new glorified body. And Jesus has a new glorified body, but do you know that Jesus has holes in his hands? 
And do you know that he is in his new glorified body that will be there throughout all eternity? Think about that for a second. We will never be able to say that we were not a redeemed people. <laughs> Every time we see Jesus, we'll be able to see the whole. And how do we know this? Because he was resurrected. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that he raised from the dead unless I can see it. And Jesus said, here, put your hands in my hands and feel. It's me. He and his new glorified body has holes in his hands. It's going to be a reminder to us that we are a redeemed people, not for 10 years, not for 100 years, not for a thousand years, not for a million years, not for a billion years, not for a trillion years. And I don't know how to count any higher than that. Throughout all of eternity, it's going to be a reminder of the fact that we are a redeemed people. But it's not just that we're redeemed from hell, but we're redeemed from all of the, the curse that has been brought up on the earth. And when we get to go to heaven one day, we will have a brand new glorified body. No more, no more sin, no more dealing with sickness, no more dealing with loss, no more tears of agony. I, I, listen, the older I get, and you all can relate to me, if you've lived a few years, you've gone through some stuff. There's coming a day when all of that is going to come to an end. You will be able to eat all the pizza you want and step on the scale and still be the same way. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know if that's true or not, but in my mind, it's true. Um, let me read this passage to you because this is, this is very, very, uh, this is very good. I'm going to read it quite a few verses here quickly. I'm going to bust through them. I'm not going to preach on them. I'm going to bust through them because I believe we need to understand what this is saying. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation because I believe that this is a really simple way to understand this. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses 35 through 55. And this is the best explanation, in my, in my opinion, in the whole Bible of what happens when we die and or when Jesus returns, and then in that moment, we're caught up with him. And there's an important thing in here is that, that some people will not die. We won't all, I think Paul says that we won't all die, but we will all be transformed. And what he is saying is that when the Lord returns, the, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. So meaning the ones that have gone on before us that were believers, they are going to rise first. And then if we are still here, when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up with him in the air. And all of us are going to receive a new glorified body. It's the full, complete redemption. Our spirit has already been purchased. First of all, our whole person's been purchased. And our spirit has been completely redeemed. Our soul is in the process of being redeemed. The more we renew our mind, will, emotions, and conscience, the more redemption we walk in in, our, in the realm of our soul. But our body is, is it's, I'm not saying this is a bad statement, but it is in the process of decaying. And there is going, this is why we get wrinkles and different things that we, that we deal with. Now, that doesn't mean you got to live sick because you can receive the power of God and you can live healthy all the way to the end of your life. So you don't got to live sick. Don't misunderstand me. But our body is in the process of, of not getting any younger, amen? But there's going to come a time when we're going to have a brand new glorified body in perfect condition. Listen here. It says, I can almost hear someone saying, again, this is the Passion Translation, a little bit different reading, but it's really easy to understand. I can almost hear somebody, someone saying, how can the dead come back to life? And what kind of body will they have when they are resurrected? Foolish man, don't you know that what you sow in the ground doesn't germinate unless it dies? And what you sow is not, is not the body that will come into being, but the bare seed. 
And it's hard to tell whether it's wheat or some other seed. But when it dies, God gives it a new form, a body to fulfill his purpose. And he sees to it that each seed gets a new body of its own and becomes the plant he designed it to be. Hallelujah. All flesh is uh, not identical. Animals have one flesh and human beings another. Birds have their distinct flesh and fish another. In the same way, there are earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. There is a splendor of the celestial body and a different one for the earthly. There is the radiance of the sun and the different, differing radiance of the moon and for the stars. Even the stars differ in their shining. And that's how it will be uh, with the resurrection of the dead. Now, you can imagine he's writing to a people here. And I was telling Liz, I said, I'm so thankful that God had Paul write this because we would have a lot of questions of what's going to happen to us when we die. I mean, really, we, and the people, they were arguing, and the Sadducees didn't even believe in a resurrection. There was all this stuff going around. They didn't know what to believe. But Paul, who went to the third heaven and had God reveal things, came and told us some things here. And it says, the body is sown in decay, but will be raised in immortality. It is sown in humiliation, but will be raised in glorification. It is sown in weakness, but will be raised in power. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. For it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, speaking of Jesus, became the life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual uh, didn't come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is uh, the Lord Jehovah from the realm of heaven. The first one, made from dust, has a race of people just like him, who are also made from dust. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Once we carried the likeness of the man of dust, but now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven. Now I tell you this, my brothers and sisters, flesh and blood are not able to inherit God's kingdom realm, and neither will that which is decaying be able to inherit what is incorruptible. Listen. And that here he summarizes, I will tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. God has spoken through his son when he, resur- when he ascended into heaven in his new glorified body. And we are born in the likeness and the image of him. Him resurrection, excuse me, him ascending, him ascending was a hopeful picture of what is going to happen to us. And the reason that this is so important is because, folks, there is all kinds of information that is nothing more than information. A lot of it is indoctrination. It's garbage. It has nothing to do with the Word of God, where people are believing all kinds of nonsense that doesn't come from Scripture about what is going to happen in this life and what is going to happen in the afterlife. Here's what the Word says, but we will all be transformed. Mark my words, you can rest your hope on it. There's coming a day when we'll have the complete, full redemption of even our physical bodies. It will happen in an instant in the twinkling of his eye. For when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be uh, indestructible and we'll, we, we will be transformed. That's awesome. It's like Mr. Incredible. Hallelujah. For we will discard our mortal clothes and slip into a body that is imperishable. What is mortal now will be exchanged for immortality. And when that which is mortal puts on immortality, and what now decays is is exchanged for what will never decay, then the scripture will be fulfilled that says, death is swallowed up by a triumphant victory. 
So death, tell me, where is your victory? Tell me, death, where is your sting? Hallelujah. What a powerful picture the ascension of Jesus is for us. It's not just like we get these little things, you know, in, in, in Bible school or, you know, Sunday school when we were younger of, oh, and Jesus like this, and he's, oh, you could just hear the angels singing, and we're like, that was so good for Jesus. That was the reality, a prophetic reality of what's going to happen to us. And that's sometimes like our mind can be like, is that really going to happen? Oh, yes, it's going to happen. You say, when? I don't know. The Lord knows. As a matter of fact, only the Father knows. The Son doesn't even know when that's going to happen is what the Word tells us. But the Father does know. And mark my words, it will happen. We're not going to live in eternity. Because there are people, we are going to live in eternity, but not in, not in nothingness. We're not just going to cease to exist. We were born and we were made eternal. Because God's eternal and we were made in his image. We were made to live throughout all eternity. But I'm so thankful that we're going to live throughout all eternity and God is bringing the full redemption of even our physical bodies. We're not going to have any more problems. No more zits. No more wrinkles. No more of the issues that we've had to deal with. It's all going to be made right. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give, or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.